Hi, this is Daniel Williams, host of the MGMA Insights Podcast. I want to share an exciting offering from MGMA, the Transformative Healthcare Delivery Certificate Program. It's an in-depth online learning experience December 6th through the 7th that provides healthcare leaders with the mastery of accountable care organizations, clinically integrated networks, commercial value-based care programs, and CMS's value-based care programs, including MIPS and APMs. So go to mgma.com events to attend this certificate program December 6th and 7th. And now, on to our podcast. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. The key is looking not only the technology, but the processes around it. Okay. Um, you know, and you need to have the technology supporting the process and not the other way around. Um, sometimes people build a lot of process to try to make the technology work. The technology should be an enabler. It shouldn't be getting in the way. That's Dr. Michael Blackman, Chief Medical Officer at Greenway Health, talking about the integration of technology into value-based care models. We'll hear more from Dr. Blackman in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Couldn't meet with us in Boston? Let us simplify the Medical Practice Excellence Conference by delivering premier content to your space. The Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference DX is an online conference that delivers three days worth of content streamed live from the Medical Practice Excellence Conference. MPE Leaders DX attendees also have access to interviews and podcasts November 8th through the 10th. Go to mgma.com events to register today. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Blackman, Chief Medical Officer at Greenway Health. A primary care physician at heart, Dr. Blackman brings an extensive background in health IT product management, along with his knowledge of outpatient and inpatient care. He believes healthcare is a team sport that requires the talents of all contributors working together to succeed. Well, Dr. Blackman, thanks so much for joining us on the MGMA Insights Podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, looking at your uh, resume, information, background information on you, it says you're the Chief Medical Officer at Greenway Health. Give our listeners an idea of Greenway and what they do and what you're currently focused on there. Yeah, so be happy to. So at Greenway, we're focused on the ambulatory market, specifically the, the independent ambulatory market predominantly. Um, and we're doing everything we can and what I'm focused on to, you know, what can we do to make providers successful and by extension, their practice is successful. We want to help them emp- empower patients. And all of that comes together, which is what we're all trying to do is get to healthier communities. Now, how can we help keep people healthier? And that really plays into what we're going to talk about today around value-based care. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Um, in communicating with you offline, um, I came across a quote from you that I, I thought was really interesting. It said that you believe healthcare is a team sport. It requires the talents of all contributors working together to succeed. Would love to hear you 
expound on that idea? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely, uh, absolutely is a team sport. It requires everybody working together to make good things happen. There is no physician, no nurse, no medical assistant, no PA, no nurse practitioner who can do this on their own. Um, we need to work together to do the maximum we can for the patient. There's, you know, there's an old expression in healthcare, having people work to the top of their license and have them do the things that they can do that nobody else can do. But it does require everyone. Um, you know, if you think about the team as a whole, you know, everyone's busy. And certainly as, you know, as a physician, you know, and I'm a primary care physician by training, you know, I will have a patient who's, you know, and say to make one up, say in their mid sixties, complicated with diabetes, hypertension, congestive heart failure, scheduled in a 15 minute slot. Um, that patient needs more time than 15 minutes. So give them more time. So people run behind. Next patient is a otherwise healthy 28 year old who probably didn't need to be seen in the first place. And the first reaction is good. They're also in a 15 minute slot. So this patient's going to take three minutes or five minutes. Um, and I'll catch up a little bit. But, I, but you miss the fact that they're overdue for a tetanus shot, that they haven't gotten the flu shot because that's not where your head was. So how do you leverage the entire team and frankly, the technology around the team to ensure that those things happen? Okay, all right, well, thank you. Um, you and I were talking right before we went live, you were telling me you were in Charlotte and uh, for our audience, we're recording this on Friday, September 30th. Uh, Hurricane Ian is just causing havoc up, up and down the eastern seaboard there, up along uh, Florida. You're in Charlotte, as I said, and then you reminded me uh, that you had your residency in Miami, and you said you've been through a lot of these things before. Before we go any deeper into that, I mean, just let us know, are you safe where you are in Charlotte, and are you connecting with any of your friends and former colleagues there in Miami and in, in Florida? Yeah, no, I, we are safe here in Charlotte. I mean, there's a bit of weather today, but nothing too much to write home about, at least at the moment. Um, have spoken with people in, in Florida. Uh, Greenway Health is based in Tampa. Um, so certainly spoken to a lot of my you know, Tampa-based colleagues um, who are also fortunately safe. We're obviously concerned about the people slightly further south of Tampa um, who didn't fare quite so well during this storm. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I did want to go over your your background here. So you did complete your residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Miami and Jackson Memorial Hospital. What I found interesting is that that was your background, but you've also developed an extensive background in health IT and product management. And just want to get the background where you were focused on medicine, but then at what point did you realize how important it is to, to embrace technology and how technology can help you as a physician. Yeah, I, I've actually had sort of a, a, a varied career and sort of how I ended up here. I actually, before going to medical school, I went to business school um, and worked in what was then called information systems consulting. So I worked for then Anderson Consulting, so what's now Accenture. Um, and when I was pra practicing medicine, the hospital I was working for you know, and this goes back there, I say 20 years, uh, was putting in an electronic health record. They were looking for people who were interested in helping and joining the steering committee. And I said, you know, this is up my alley. And that was sort of the first step in that direction. 
um, eventually became the chief informa medical information officer for the health system I was working for, spent a lot of time working with the vendor we had, um, and then an opportunity came along to really help build a young EHR, and I switched over to the vendor side, um, really saying, well, what can we do to really make EHRs, things that physicians and other clinicians, frankly, really see benefit from, uh, my target is love to use, I will settle for see value in using. Okay. Okay. Um, you said that you were chief medical information officer. I've heard that term quite a bit. I'm not sure I've ever asked someone, what is the primary role of a chief medical information officer? So shed some light on that for us. I think, I think the role of a, of a CMIO has, has changed over the years, but, it, but at its basis, it's an interface between the medical staff and IT. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, you know, sort of look at what projects you should do, how you work on them, how the implementation of those projects impacts the delivery of care, which is obviously the most important piece. Um, and you definitely want to have, you know, clinicians involved in some of that decision-making. You know, just as a, a simple example, when I was CMIO, the IT team said, well, we need to, you know, have reboots on, you know, when there's new updates on all of the, on all of the PCs around the hospital. So we're going to, and since we can't, and since this is their words, since we can't trust people to do them, we're going to, when it comes up, we're going to force the reset automatically and not let them defer it. And I said, so wait a minute. So that's going to pop up in the ICU when someone's trying to take care of a patient, they have to wait for the computer to reboot. And they're like, yes. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, my, you know, it was almost like, I don't care if we have to manually walk around and touch every single machine in the building. You can't interrupt patient care that way. Okay. okay. When you were CMIO, were you also a practicing physician? Were you seeing patients as well? Or does that take up too much of your time to do that? The answer is at the beginning, it was a, a mix. Um, and then it became more full time as we went along. Uh, okay. But that varies by institution and, and size. Okay. All right. So I, I, I still I want to stay down memory lane with you because you do have a varied career, as you were talking about earlier, you were also previously medical director for population health at Allscripts. Um, want to talk about that intersection, some of those biggest challenges you see in healthcare related to pop health and value-based care. Yeah, so certainly as you know, we're continuing to you know, move from fee-for-service to outcomes-based payments, whatever version of value-based care you want to call that, and there are tons of flavors out there. Um, it's a different way of organizing the practice. It's a different way, frankly, of, of thinking about patients. If you think about it this way, over the course of a year, how much time do you or anyone else as an individual spend getting healthcare you know, with a clinician as compared to the entire year? Even for someone, frankly, who has a lot of chronic illnesses, it's not very much. Um, so what do we do about that time in between? And how do you reach out to people appropriately understand what's happening, prevent them in some ways potentially from needing more acute interventions. Uh, you know, a number of studies have shown about only about 20% of health outcomes are directly related to health care. So you know, we have to deal with that other 80%. And obviously a lot of talk today about social determinants of health, and that's a big piece of that 80%. 
So, you know, that, that's probably the biggest challenge is getting that mindset shift about, hey, I'm going to be more proactive and reach out to people versus sitting back and waiting for people to come in when they're sick. Okay. I want to come full circle then. So we've talked about the technology. Now we've dabbled in value-based care and pop health a little bit, but where do you see the biggest impacts then when you integrate technology into a value-based care model? So it really brings that information to the forefront. So how do you, you know, so even at the most simplistic level, understanding of all of the patients that a practice or other group is responsible for, what, you know, for appropriate patients, obviously, what percentage of them have had mammograms? Because if we can do the basic blocking and tackling things that we know work and that we know improve people's outcomes. So the first question is, okay, what's the population that needs to have a mammogram? Next question is who's had one? And by, you know, by extension, who hasn't? And for that group that hasn't, okay, that now we get to the hard part. What do you do about it? You know, how do we reach out to them? Um, and there's no single simple answer to that question. But you know, the more you can keep doing it and knocking it down, the closer we get to getting everybody that sort of that basic care they need. And you could use any number of examples there. Mm -hmm. That technology can provide so much data that as you were talking about, then you want to analyze. So what are the most important KPIs that you think a practice should be looking at once they have uh, that value-based care model in place? You know, it, it's truly a broad ranging answer. Um, mm -hmm. You could be measured, you know, if you're strict, thinking strictly about value-based care, the first place a lot of people go is, well, what are my value-based contracts with my payers? Right. Um, so what are those items on which I'm getting paid? Those set up pretty nicely as initial KPIs, but it certainly doesn't have to be limited to that. Um, you know, and please don't misunderstand, practice getting paid is important. You need a margin to continue to provide, continue to provide care. Um, but there may be other things that are of particular interest to the practice or a given community. You know, if we think back a couple of years to the, you know, the, the very tragic example of the water system in Flint, you know, where there was widespread you know, lead exposure, you might want to, and frankly, quite would, you know, track the children that were screened for lead, who hasn't yet been screened, you know, making sure that you get screening to everybody who needs it. So that's just another use of the same, the same type of technology. Mm -hmm. I, um, I think one piece there that's important as we think about it, and you mentioned it a second ago, there's lots of data. Right. And sometimes the data can become over overwhelming, and especially if we're doing home monitoring in, in some way. Uh, we, need we need the computer and algorithms to look at that data and knock it down to the relatively small number of people who need to be called or contacted in some way. Um, there's no possible way that, that humans could weed through all of the data on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, home monitoring systems and different programs such as that. I'm curious, when you get a really efficient and effective value-based care model, is the patient a more active participant in their own health care? What does that look like? Patients certainly becomes a more active participant in their care. And, and health care, as, as a general, is something better that's done with you than to you. Mm -hmm. um, so the more people are involved, the, 
in their care, the better they can be, the better they have an understanding of, of their disease process and, and how and how their decisions affect it. Um, we've certainly seen this with you know, the more widespread introduction of continuous glucose monitors you know, that people can you know see, frankly, pretty close to real time. You know, hey, I ate this and this was the impact. Right. Um, and then can change their habits accordingly, or at least try to. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right. Well, thank you for that. So um, we've been looking at some of the challenges out there. Let's move it to a success story. Do you have a case study or anything anecdotal you could share with us where a practice has really integrated that technology into these value-based care models and, and seen success with it? Yeah, not, not a specific one, um, but I think the, the key is looking not only the technology, but the processes around it. Okay. Um, you know, and you need to have the technology supporting the process and not the other way around. Um, sometimes people build a lot of process to try to make the technology work. The technology should be an enabler. It shouldn't be getting in the way. Um, but it could be, you know, anything from, you know, going to, you know, looking at, you know, what specific quality measures, trying to address those, address contracts. The key, I think, and where I've seen it both work and fail is the key is to start small and build from there. There's sometimes a tendency to say, oh, we're going to deal with all of these things to start with, and you need to learn to crawl before you walk, um, and certainly before you run. And when people try to do it all at once, it becomes a little overwhelming, and that's where it tends to fall apart. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that, because that's what I wanted to ask you about. Earlier, you had mentioned just, we don't have a problem with having data, it's, um, <laughs> we can have the overwhelming amount of data, and then how do we analyze that? And when we are a practice and we're looking at starting a value-based care model, then it's, well, where do I start? There's so many steps here. So I did want to ask you about that. Are there some resources, tools, anything else you could share with our listeners where you would point them to that could help them take those first steps or just kind of lessen that overwhelm that might be uh, they might be facing? Yeah, there, there are certainly plenty of good articles around in, in publications like Medical Economics. Um, additionally, there are some quite good resources on the MGMA website that one could go and look at. But I think the, the key is sort of look at the breadth of options and then pick something. Not everything, but something and say, this is where you want to start. And whether it's, you know, and you could do that based on, you know, a payer contract. You could do that based on, hey, I know as a practice, we have a lot of patients with congestive heart failure and we have a lot of admissions as a result of that. And that's the disease I want to start with. And then okay. figure out what are the things you want to do to try to address that, or it could be, you know, it could be diabetes, could be hypertension, could be, you know, anything one picks. Okay. I, I did want to follow up with one thing. It's kind of where we led earlier. It was that quote where you said healthcare really is a team sport. The thing I didn't ask you earlier was how do you get the team involved? What, what are the steps to get them thinking that, Hey, we're a team and we're, we're, I don't know if we're in a competition, so to speak, but we our, our goal is to provide the best care we can um, for those patients and to provide the best outcomes for our practice as well. So it's profitable. So what do you do to get that, that sort of sports mentality mindset in place where you're all pulling that rope from the same side? From, you know, not only is everybody in the practice a member of the, the healthcare team, they're also patients. Okay. Yeah, at some point in time. And often I 
get people to sort of focus back and so turn it around for a minute. Forget your work here. If you were a patient, how would you like to be treated? How would you like this group to get behind you, know, you or a family member or a friend to help keep them as healthy as possible? And that usually does it. Yeah, yeah. that's a great way to end that part of our discussion. So now I want to kind of turn the lens towards you because I have one final question for you. Um, as you know, work-life balance has just been thrown out of whack here these last two plus years with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. More than ever, just human beings have been challenged with their mental health, with their careers, et cetera. And in reading about you, I know that you are an avid outdoorsman. You're an avid skier. Um, and I learned that you've traveled to 49 of the 50 states. So you're an avid traveler as well. I want to know more about that, where you found that that uh, success with your work-life balance, when you've been able to get out and do things that you're passionate about. And tell us about that. You know, especially, you know, certainly over the past couple of years, but before it was, you know, more people working remotely, you know, including myself, um, it's really important to maintain that balance and it becomes harder to do. Obviously there's no physical separation. You know, when I started working remotely, I went from having about a 30 minute commute, you know, sort of decompress between home and work to, you know, walking up the stairs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's, there's a tendency to pull. So, you know, there's a point in time where you sort of have to say, you know, something I'm stopping for the day and, you know, go do something else, go clear your head, even frankly, even if it's a break and then you come back to it, um, depending on, you know, how pressing something is. And obviously that's going to happen. There's no, no question about that. Um, and yes, I am a big skier. I love to get out, love to get out to the mountains um, whenever I can do that. Not, not as much living in North Carolina as when I used to live in New England. Do you have some favorite ski spots that you've uh, been able to enjoy? I, I do. Um, I, a, a, anything in Utah, frankly. Okay. Okay. We won't take offense in Colorado <laughs> where I am located, but uh, Utah is gorgeous as well. And I do have to ask you about this 49 out of 50 states. If that's still the case, uh, what's this one lone state you refuse to go to? What's happening there? There's still one, and it's not a refuse. It's it's New Mexico. Um, For whatever reason, I've never gotten to New Mexico. However, it is on the list for 2023. Um, Have plans to get out there with friends next next fall. That is so awesome. There is amazing food and amazing outdoor activities there in New Mexico, because I'm in Colorado, we head down Mm -hmm. to Santa Fe and some of those other areas there, beautiful country. So you're going to love that as well. So uh, Dr. Blackman, I just, I want to thank you so much for joining the podcast, getting to know you and getting to know uh, your insights about healthcare as well. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Michael Blackman, Chief Medical Officer at Greenway Health. We also want to thank MGMA Events for sponsoring this week's show. Let us simplify the Medical Practice Excellence Conference by delivering premier content to your space. The Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference DX is an online conference that delivers three days worth of content streamed live from our show in Boston. 
Go to mgma.com slash events to register today. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation, email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Daniel Williams, host of the MGMA Insights Podcast. I want to share an exciting offering from MGMA, the Lean Six Sigma Green Belt Program. This seven-week instructor-led online course will explore lean techniques and evaluation processes with the goal to eliminate steps that don't add value to your organization. The Green Belt Program runs from October 25th to December 13th and is eligible for 30 ACMPE and 30 CEU credits. Visit mgma.com green to learn more and to register today.